following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning I'm excited to announce a new series that we're getting into, and it's on the book of Romans. And we're going to talk about the book of Romans because it's profound. Really, it's the book that changed the whole world. The book of Romans is a profound and radical, life-changing book, and we're on a series beginning today in the book of Romans. But to start out, I want to mention some statistics to you. The Gallup Poll, an organization who polls people on their positions on different things, they've done some studies, and they concluded that two-thirds of Americans, listen to this, can't tell you who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Um, 12% of Americans thought that Noah's wife was... Joan of Arc. <laughs> it wasn't. Less than half of all Americans could name the first book of the Bible. 80% of Americans say they believe in the Ten Commandments, but most of them can't name four of them. 80% of Christians believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, they believe that's in the Bible. It's not, in case you were wondering. Uh, there's so much power in God's Word, there's so much revelation, there's so much insight, and that's why we commit to teaching through the Bible, because we believe if we get into the Word, the Word will get in us. God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. There's profound life in the Word. And if you don't have the Word in you or don't know it, like when I was raised, I, I understood something about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, but I didn't know the Word. I was kind of aimless, wandering. But when I started to understand who the God of the Word was, it began to change everything. The book of Romans does that. The book of Romans begins to explain and lay things out in a way that brings tons of revelation and clarity. Really important. In fact, a lot of people consider the book of Romans the most important book in the Bible. Now, it's all God's Word, but let me just read some of these quotes. Samuel Coolridge said, The most profound writing in existence of all time is the book of Romans. Interesting. John Calvin said, if a man understands Romans, he has a short road to help him understand the entire Bible. Uh, Martin Luther said, the book of Romans is the chief book of the New Testament. A Swiss commentator said that every great revival in history can somehow be related to the book of Romans. Pretty powerful stuff. Chuck Swindoll says, Romans is the most important book of the Bible. And Rick Warren put it this way, he said, You just can't say enough about this book. It's the basic handbook for Christianity. It has influenced millions of people. It has changed history. Martin Luther started the Reformation because of the book of Romans and on and on and on. The book has been changing people. The book's been changing lives. The book has changed this world that we live in. Uh, in fact, good movie on that note. If some of you like to rent movies, the movie Luther, I would recommend that because we're going to look at a passage today and we're going to elaborate in, in weeks to come in this book of uh, Romans where there have been people who love God, who had a quandary in their life, a little confused with the relationship between us and God and why they discovered some things in Romans that changed their entire view of life. And the Reformation, the world changed as a result of the stuff in this book. I would suggest this. The first point, if you're a note-taker, in fact, we're talking about some profound aspects of this book today, but the first point is this. We can't really understand the Bible without first understanding the book of Romans. We can't really understand the Bible. Now, it's great to read the Bible, study the Bible, and we should. We should do that all the time. We look at the Gospels, the Messiah came, how he lived, what he did, paid the price. Beautiful. 
The book of Acts is the history of the birth and the growth and the expansion of the church. Beautiful. But in this passage here, Paul is going to document something like no other book in the Bible. He's going to lay out a roadmap of understanding, of dimension, of what it's all about, how this relationship works, how it does not work. And it puts a lot of clarity into people's lives. So I would suggest this is true. Many, many of the revivalists through history found that this book changed everything. And there were revivals as a result of getting this in us. So this is a pretty cool opportunity. I want to encourage you guys to follow along. Come back. If you miss a Sunday, go online and listen. Because to me, this book is a really key step of what the Bible calls discipleship. Growing. We come to faith and then we grow. This book is a really big step in growing in the things of God. Really understanding what the kingdom is all about. Very cool stuff. Now the setup is this. Paul's writing this in 56 AD. He just finished his third missionary journey, or he's finishing his third missionary journey. He's in Corinth, and he's going to go back to Jerusalem. But he's met so many great people along the way in the travels, and at the end of Romans, he personally says, hey, by the way, uh, say hi to all these people in the church of Rome for me. So he, he's met a lot of amazing believers along the way. He didn't start the church in Rome. He heard great things about it, and he's writing this letter. And he's basically telling these guys, look, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm going to try to get out there. But in the meantime, let me give you guys some profound insights and instructions. And it is the most detailed uh, letter or book that we have in the Bible when it comes to doctrine and understanding and identity and things of that nature. And so uh, today we are actually talking about that, the power of identity. There's a few different ways to look at this book of Romans, but today, this morning, I think Paul is beginning to approach things from a sense of identity. And I got to tell you, identity is enormous. Knowing who you are and knowing who you're not changes everything. And there were great, well-intended believers that loved God. Guys like Martin Luther, devout. The guy was a priest. He loved God. Prayed all the time. But... When he began to understand who he really was through the book of Romans and who God really was, it began to change dramatic things. I think the same is true in our lives. When we begin to look at identity this morning through the book of Romans, hopefully there's some pretty amazing revelation. But uh, let's look at this in sections if we could. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, this is in the bulletin so you can follow along. And uh, again, a place to take some notes on the power of identity. And it begins like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul sets this beginning up talking about identity. He's going to talk about two things. His own identity and the identity of Jesus. And it's a great way to start a letter. Because before we even get into anything, let's talk about identity for a moment. And he starts out with Jesus and he wants them to know when I'm talking about Jesus to the Roman church, he said, I'm not presenting something new to you. Um, Jesus is not new. Jesus is fulfillment. Jesus was promised long ago. All the scriptures talked about Jesus. But some of the Jews at the time were thinking, who is Jesus and is this a new, a new religion? And that was the concern. What is this new religion or this new sect? Paul's like, no, no, this is not a, a new thing. This is a fulfillment thing. This is revelation. In fact, some of you guys have some Jewish friends maybe celebrating uh, 
Rosh Hashanah recently and Yom Kippur coming out this next week. And what that revolves around Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. Uh, the atonement has been happening in the history of Israel, but ever since the temple has been destroyed, no one has been able to go in on behalf of the sins of the people and make atonement. So the reality is, there has been no atonement. Now, there have been rabbis that have come along and said, well, technically, since it's destroyed, I know what the Bible says, but surely God will make an exception. I think this is what God's asking us to do. And they've come up with a method of, let's just pray and God takes away all the sins every year. The Bible says sins do not go away without the outpouring of blood. That's what the Bible says. There is no other way. God didn't say now that the temple's gone, let's just change the rules. <laughs> let's come up with something else. No, God didn't do that. But people did. They came up with, well, why don't we just say that if that's not available, let's find a new way and let it go down this way. I say that because there are things that are created, there are new things, but I would suggest that our identity has to do with fulfillment. Who God said, what He said in the beginning, and Jesus Christ is part of that fulfillment. Our calling, our mission, our hope, our future, our purpose is all part of this fulfillment. We don't just make things up along the way. Paul is talking about fulfillment. He's talking about Jesus first. He says, in the natural, He's a descendant of David. Jesus was born in the line of David. The long-awaited Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. So in the natural... That's a reality. He says, through the spirit of holiness, which is a cool way of saying through the Holy Spirit, through the spirit of holiness, he was declared God's son. So he's the Messiah through the line of David. He's also the son of God at the same time. This is getting pretty cool. And then he says this, through the resurrection, he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ is the same term for Messiah or Savior. We use those interchangeable. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, he's the Savior. Same thing. That means he paid the price for the sins of the world. But the other part of his identification is an important one. Through the resurrection, he was Jesus Christ and our Lord. The Lord is another part. There's a lot of people who, even in the church, recognize that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah. That is phenomenal. That is beautiful. It's an amazing place to start. But he's also the Lord. That's a whole other thing. And a lot of identity has to do with whether he's your Lord or not. And I say that because some people hear the first part of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. That's cool. They pray, will you take my sins away? And yeah, that's, that's great. I want to say that prayer and I want to begin this kind of life with you. But they never, never really stopped one day and said, you know what? I'm getting off the throne. You are the Lord and I am not. That is enormous. That is enormous. And he's talking about this identity. When you make him the Lord of your life, your identity changes. If he's not the Lord of your life or mine, then our identity doesn't change. We just kind of add a Savior to our life. Does that make sense? We add a Messiah. Sure, why wouldn't you take the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ? Of course, he died for your sins. Beautiful. And many people will say, well, I can't pass that opportunity up. Sure. But when it comes to being Lord, it's a paradigm shift in our life. We get off the throne. We put him on. It changes everything. The Lord is the one we honor and we serve. And some people like the, the theory and the understanding of Jesus and who he was, but the Lord is another big, big part. Well, Paul knows this. And I would suggest to you that Paul knows Jesus really, really well. Paul understands who Jesus is, who Jesus is not. And because of this, because of this, he knows who he is. This is how he knows who he is. This is why he knows who he is. Because he knows who Jesus is really, really, really is.
just like all these other people that began to read the book of Romans and their life changed around. They, they began to realize, wait a second, I think I'm really understanding who he is. And now that I know who he really is, hmm, that changes who I am. And people change. Revivals have come out of this, guys. It's powerful stuff. Our second point this morning is on that note. Second point is we don't really know who we are until we know who he is. We don't really know who we are until we know who He is. There's a lot of people who don't really know who God is and they think they know who they are and they're kind of wandering around through life really with their own understanding or viewpoint of things. And, and that's, that's fine in theory, but the reality is God's the creator. He's the designer. And if He's the master planner and He's the one with the design and He's the creator of the universe, who are we to think we can have all these assumptions without even checking in with the source, if you will? Does that make sense? He is the creator, we are the created. And to remove him out of the equation, thinking that we know who we are and what we're going to do, is totally missing the, the whole purpose in life. And so we don't really know who we are until we know who he is. I believe all the people we quoted earlier would say the same thing. That through this book, understanding who he is, has changed their disposition of who they are. Really important. Paul says, because of that, I know who I am. He goes, this letter is from me, Paul. He goes, I'm a servant. I'm an apostle. I have a calling. I'm on a mission. I have a purpose. Pretty cool stuff. He's like, I know who I am. I know who I'm supposed to be. I know who I'm becoming. And I know what I'm supposed to do. The reality is, not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people can say, no, I know who I really, really am. I know who God's making me into, and I know what I'm supposed to do. Not a lot of people can say that. And the reason I think they can't say that is because they don't really know who God is. Because when you really know who He is, you begin to really understand who we are. And I, I believe, this is my own, in my own humble opinion, I believe the greatest deficit in the church, specifically in America, specifically, is an identity crisis. That's my conviction. I believe the greatest uh, deficit in the church in America is the fact that people are having an identity crisis. Some people don't understand their God-given identity. Romans lays a lot of this stuff out. Begin to understand with clarity. But a lot of folks don't understand their God-given identity. And when you don't, we love God, but we still struggle and wander. Martin Luther was one of those guys. He loved God. He already loved God before he understood this book. But this book changed who he was because it changed his understanding of who God was. It's a radical paradigm shift. Uh, identity crisis is described as the failure to establish one's identity in prior stages of development. That's a clinical definition. In other words, through the steps of life where identity was supposed to be established, there's some missing links in the chain. That makes sense? That's an identity crisis. In the faith, it's the same way. People come and they accept Jesus is the Savior. Great, that's awesome. Now what? And somehow they miss out on maybe some steps of growth, some steps of discipleship, and don't really know who we are because we never really fully understood who He was. And it changes a lot of stuff. Third point this morning builds on the second one. And it's how you see God determines how you see yourself. You know that? How you see God does determine how you see yourself. For example... If you see God as a God of grace, of love, and of mercy, and you've experienced His grace, love, and mercy, if you see Him that way, then by 
a direct result, you tend to share grace, love, and mercy with others because you've experienced his grace, love, and mercy. You're like, I get it. God is a loving God. He's a good God. He's got grace and mercy and he's, you know, every good and perfect gift is from him and you, you have this understanding of who he is, which is true, and you model it and you give it away. Freely you've been given, freely give. Good stuff. However, if you have the view of God that some people have, that God is watching you and you get out of step for one second, bam, watch out. Some people have that view. They're always looking over their shoulder. Like, when is it going to go down? When is the hammer going to fall? Anybody ever have that? Come on. Honestly? Thank you. How about more honestly? More, yeah, thank you for your help. Um, the reality is that some people are wondering, when is the day when the hammer is going to fall? And there's always this concern of, of this fear, this condemnation, and this book is going to address all this stuff. The book of Romans is going to address condemnation. It's going to address why we do the things we do even though we don't want to do them. And how can we keep doing stuff we don't want to do? And why do I feel like this? And how come? It, it, it deals with all of this and it clarifies things so we can really understand. But I would suggest to you how we see God determines how we see ourselves. If you see God as someone chasing you with a hammer going through life, you're more apt to share that same kind of God with others. You're going to be out to say somebody at the workplace, you better watch it, God's watching you. And we don't see that message in the Bible, not in the New Testament. You better watch it, God's watching every step you make. You get one out of lunch. Bam. We don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see it anyway. But some people have this feeling, you know, understanding. Of maybe that's who. So how you see God does determine how you see yourself and what your role is in the kingdom of God. Paul, he understands his identity really well. He doesn't have any identity crisis whatsoever. He's like, I know I'm not what the world wants me to be. My life is who God wants me to be because I know whose I am. It's not who I am, Paul would say. It's whose I am. And I'm not my own. I was already bought with a price. So the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I know whose I am. And other people are going, oh, I'm trying to figure my way along here. And God's saying, well, get with me. I will tell you who I am. I will show you and you will better understand who you are. And you will better understand how you fit in that master plan. It's a great way to go through life. Because you go through life with conviction and understanding rather than, I don't know, maybe this. Let me try that. Let me try this. And we could go, you know, spending years here and years there just exploring and trying things out and, and really not having any kind of aim. And the reality is God's like, no. My gifts and calling are irrevocable. Uh, I, I got things ordained for you from the foundations of the world, the Bible says. Things for us to walk out. He's already got it written down. But we don't really get in on it. We don't really know who he is. And this is part of the identity issue I believe the church in America uh, suffers with right now. Third world countries are a little different. People don't have the identity distractions. They don't have the billboards of TV telling them who they're supposed to be. We are just plagued with ideas from Madison Avenue in Hollywood of who you're supposed to be or who you're not if you don't have this or have that or look like this. None of that is from the heart of God. That's all fabricated. The devil who's the accuser will use that stuff to confuse our identity. But in third world countries, they don't have those distractions. They understand a little clearer. And I think that's why they experience the power of God a little more. They tend to see who God is, who they are as a result of it. And they just walk out the things the Bible says. Straight up, no issues of identity, not, not to the degree we have here in America. He goes on in verse 5, and he says this. Through him and for his name's sake, 
we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He starts out saying our mission here, the reason we do what we do, this is how we do it and this is what we do, is we're calling people to obedience that comes from faith. What he's saying is obedience does come from faith. If you really, really believe something, you act on it. That's true of anybody. If you really believe it, you act on it. Now what can happen sometimes is we believe in God and we know God has a general plan, but sometimes we're like, yeah, but does he really mean that? I mean, does it really say that? Does it really mean that? And sometimes we act on what we believe instead of really, really believing on what God is saying. Paul is telling us here that his job is to encourage people to acknowledge Jesus and then to obey him. That's kind of his mission. That's what he's been doing all over the known world and people are coming to faith in a radical way. But if you have a pen right now and you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to underline the beginning of verse 5 right here because this is profound it is incredibly insightful, and I believe it's a key to the kingdom of God. There's these keys along the way that you look at in Scripture, and you're like, wow, there's a lot of revelation in that one. If you have a pen, you might want to underline in verse 5 the, the statement, through him and for his name's sake. Through him and for his name's sake. When you begin to understand what this means, through him and for his name's sake, it does begin to change your identity. It really does. Uh, Paul is saying how he does things and why he does things. How do I do them? Paul is saying, I do things through him. I do things through him. Last week we talked about abiding in the vine. It's on iTunes. You can go to the website listen to it. But what we concluded is that apart from him, we can do nothing. But we can bear a whole bunch of fruit through him. But on our own, we can do nothing. The point being this, Paul knows that as well. He didn't write the other one. John the Apostle wrote, apart from him I can do that. But Paul knows that through life, through experience, through scripture. And he's like, that's why what we do, we do through him. And when you begin to understand how God can work through you, and you abide in him, and him and you, and he does things through you, that gets exciting. Life changes in a big way because God does things through you instead of us trying to do stuff in our own energy. You ever try to do something even good in your own energy and you find out you're really burned out and tired, right? You're like, you know what, I'm kind of done here. I tried, I tried, and I tried, and I can't try anymore. And God's saying, well, would you do it through me this time? Would you do it through my strength? Will you do it through my spirit? It's not by strength or by might, it's by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. That is true today, just like it was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament church. It's through Him. So much life happens through Him. And this has a lot to do with who we are and how we live our lives. But Paul is saying, what I do, I do through him. Listen to this. And he says, I do it for his name's sake. That's another enormous factor. Because some people have a belief system. Yeah, I believe in God. And yeah, technically, Bible, Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe that. But the power begins when people go, you know what? What I do, I do it through him. And why I do stuff, I do it for his name's sake. Really? Yes. I do it for his namesake. Here's the, here's the reason. There's a big difference in living our lives out for our sake compared to living things for God's sake. It's for God's cause or our cause. It's God's mission or our mission. I know it's a quandary every day we get up. What are we going to do? But some people get up and they hit their knees and they're like, what do you have for me today, God? What do you have for me to get today, Father? And other people don't say that. They're like, Lord, bless this, answer this, give me that. They're running down a little list of more stuff. 
Some people get up and say, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Some get up and say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. But other people pray, My kingdom come, My will be done. Lord, would you give me this, give me this, open that door, do this. And some people have a whole list. I'm not saying it's bad to ask for things. But there's a big paradigm shift to whether we go through life saying, through Him and for His namesake. For Your namesake, God. What can I do today for Your namesake? What will make You more famous? What will give You the glory and the honor? How can You use me as a regular person, a vessel, an instrument? How can You do things through me that will make You smile? How can I live today unto the audience of one, unto You? How can I do that? When you get up with that disposition, watch out. First of all, you understand your identity quite well. Secondly, you will see God do things through your life. And this is what Paul understands really well. Other people aren't saying that. Other like, yeah, I get the theology, the, the general belief of what Jesus did. That's real cool. By the way, God, I got a whole bunch of stuff here. I, I need all this stuff. I need this. I need that. I want you to do this. And they, they don't put his sake before our own sake. Paul understands this. And this is the way he, he does things. And he does say, by the way, here, he says, you also are among those called. We're called to the same thing that Paul's called to. We're called to the same ministry that we do things through him and for his namesake. We're all ambassadors. We're all called to this. This isn't just for a guy who's an apostle. This is for the people of God. He's saying to the Roman church, all of you believers out there in that church, you're all called to do things through him and for his namesake. For the fourth point this morning is exactly that. To make it your mission in life. You want to understand identity. Hold on to this one. To make it your mission to live through him and for His name's sake. If you're willing to get up in the morning and say, God, I want to pray that you would do things through me, and I want to do some things for your name's sake, you're off to a great day. You're off to a great day because you understand your identity, and you understand His identity. And it changes everything. It's a pretty profound insight. Paul has this stuff down. He's just like, he, he's already come to terms with this stuff a long time ago. The sooner you come to terms with this, the easier life gets. Because you begin to understand what burdens are not your burdens. You realize there's a lot of people carrying burdens in life that are not your burden. And God didn't give you that burden. He doesn't give you more than you can handle. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And some people are walking along with their knees ready to buckle with burdens. And God's like, yeah, actually, that's not what I, I didn't put that on you. I understand the dilemma, but I didn't give you that. If you understand who you are, if you want to do things through me, for my name, there's other things I'm giving you to do. And there are some things for us to walk out. But some people carry loads and burdens that he's saying, whenever you're ready, I'll, I'll take that from you. This has a lot to do with identity. Who we are, who we're not. What we're supposed to carry, what we're not supposed to carry. Uh, passage moves on in, in verse 7. And he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, 
in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. He starts out saying, I'm writing it to all you believers in Rome, and I've been praying for a long time to try to come to you. I'm going to try to get there soon. Ironically, Paul doesn't get to Rome the way he thought he would get to Rome. But he says this, I pray for you guys all the time. He goes, I never stop praying for you. There's a theme that you read in Paul's letters over and over again about praying without ceasing, and I never stop praying for you. Paul's also got this understanding of prayer that a lot of us don't have. He understands the power of it. He understands the intensity of it. He understands the consistency of prayer. I would say one thing. When it comes to believers and when it comes to where we're at with our identity with God and where it comes to our maturity, we're talking about growing through the book of Romans, being a believer, being a disciple, growing in the things of God. When it comes to growing and being mature in the faith, I would suggest a really, really, really good sign of maturity is someone's prayer life, specifically in the area of praying for others. Because sometimes we'll get up and we'll pray for our stuff. Lord, I need this, I need your help, right? That's the first thing, that's our go-to prayer. That's the first thing we pray to is we need our stuff, we need your help, we need you to move that or open that door or provide, right? That's what we, we do. That's not a bad thing. You can ask for needs, we have not because we ask not. It's okay to ask, make all your prayers, petitions, requests known to God. That's beautiful. Do it with... Praise and thanksgiving, that's what the Bible says. But, when it comes to praying for other people, that's a whole other level of intercessory prayer, to be praying and warring and fighting in the Spirit for other people on other people's behalf. That is maturity, guys. And I would just suggest, as a little side note, if you're thinking how long you've been in the faith or where you might be at with the faith or how you're growing, I would say this is a good litmus test for maturity in the faith, somebody who actually prays for other people a lot. Paul says, I'm praying for you, I haven't stopped praying for you, and I'm not going to stop praying for you. I just love that, that model right there. And he also says to these guys, he goes, you might not know it, Romans, but your faith is being reported all over the known world. People are hearing about you guys. Now, that's kind of cool to know that this church, they're on fire in a kind of way that their faith is being reported all over the place. Uh, there's persecution beginning to happen here in Rome, and every once in a while, Christians are going to the lions, okay? And they're saying, "You're going to renounce this faith or not?" And they're going to, and, and these believers are saying, "You can do what you want to me. I know who he is. I know who I am. I know my identity. I can't renounce him. Do what you need to do." And other believers around the world are hearing it and saying, "That is radical. Did you hear what they're doing in Rome? Those guys are so fired up. Their faith. They've got so much faith." That they don't even care what Rome does to them. They're like, hey, I know who I am. I know who he is. Do whatever you need to. And that kind of faith is fanning these other believers into flame. It's a pretty radical thing. Paul's like, you guys might not know it, but you're famous. You guys are famous because of your faith. He says, when I get there, I'm hoping that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. In other words, your guys' faith is famous. Paul's like, God's done, showed me some things. I can't wait to get there. We're going to share with each other. Because you guys can share some faith with me that's going to get me fired up. And I want to share some things with you that will get you guys fired up. There's a principle in the Bible about fanning each other into flame. Okay? This principle in the Bible has to do with people of faith sharing faith with others. And when it happens, we get more fired up and more, you know, our faith gets stirred into things of God. I say this because faith is contagious. And if we fan each other in the flame with our faith and we, we encourage one another, we grow and get stronger in the faith. But if you're in a position in your life, besides church on a Sunday is a great place, obviously, but with other friends or midweek things, if you're not hanging around people that have faith, 
if you're hanging around people that don't have faith, the opposite is true too. We kind of get our faith watered down and pulled away. When, you, when I get to be around people that have stories of faith, I don't know about you, but it just does something for me. I'm like, praise God that God did that. That is amazing. And sometimes you can share a story of what God is doing in your life or has done. And people just get fired up in the faith. It's an important aspect to the kingdom of God. There is radical power in fellowship when we do this. Paul says, when I get there, you guys are famous. I want to get in on some of this stuff. But I got some stuff to share with you guys. And it's going to be good. So uh, the fifth point this morning, tying this together is to understand the priority of praying, just like Paul does. He's got this down in his identity. To understand the priority of praying for and encouraging other people. That's what Paul's doing. It's like Romans, I'm praying for you guys, and I'm encouraging you guys, and when I get there, I want you to encourage me, because this is what the kingdom of God is about, and this is what makes things happen in the kingdom of God. It's a big identity issue. So understand the priority of praying for and encouraging other people. Paul's modeling it right here. And then the last section is this. In verse 14, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. First of all, he says, look, I'm really excited about this gospel. He talks about the power of the gospel. Some people don't realize all the gospel, everything it does. They realize part of it. But Paul's like, let me just tell you about this gospel, how amazing it is. And why I'm so fired up about it. And why I can't wait to get there and share it with you guys. The gospel does some really, really amazing things. First thing he says, it's the power of God. The power. The Greek word is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. It is the dynamite of God in the life of a person to explosively transform them on the inside. That's what the gospel does. Some people haven't heard the full gospel. They might understand a little theology, and, and that's good. A little bit of doctrine. That, that's a good start. But when you really understand how the gospel changes us on the inside, it is explosive. It is dunamis, and it is life-changing. And Paul knows that. And he's like, this gospel changes lives. It's amazing. It's the power of God. Also, this gospel provides salvation to everyone who will. Um, there's so many whosoever's in the Bible that you can't ignore. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever. God loved the whole world that he gave his only son. And Paul is saying, this provides salvation to every single person on the planet willing to get in on the promise and the provision of Jesus, the resurrected one. Some people don't get in on it, others do, but it's offered to all. And Paul is like, not only is it the power to change lives explosively on the inside, but it's available to every single person on the planet. Paul is excited about that. And listen to this, he said, it reveals a righteousness. It reveals a righteousness. This statement is something that has changed a lot of people over the years. Because they're like, yeah, God's righteous, but I'm not. <laughs> Or some people actually think they do a lot of good stuff and they are righteous. There's a lot of folks really confused on whether they're righteous or not or how they get to be righteous. Um, in the Jewish tradition, it was following the law. If you followed the law and you didn't break any of the rules, you'd seem like you were 
righteous, but Jesus said, look, you break one, it's like breaking them all, okay? You're either righteous or you're not. How do you get righteous? Who's righteous? And the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. He's basically saying right here, guess what? There is a righteousness, and it's from God. And guess what? Through Jesus, He actually gives it to people. You're thinking, what do I have to do? No, He gives a righteousness to people. And at the time, the people, especially Jewish people, are going, what? God is giving out righteousness? This is, this is foreign. You realize that? An imparted righteousness. We're going to build later on in the book of Romans what this looks like. But God literally giving you one, almost having an account in the heavenlies where we're basically all spiritually bankrupt. And God's like, don't worry, I got your overdraft covered. And you're thinking, whoa, what did I do to deserve that? Well, it's not that you deserved it, but you believe my son did it. And God's giving us a righteousness. There's a righteousness from God, he says right here. Really powerful. That's why he's fired up about this. And he knows that this righteousness either will put people either in good standing with God, or if they reject it, not good standing with God. This gospel has so much power to change lives. It's available to everyone. It can take them from not in good standing with God to being in perfectly good standing with God. Paul's like, this is radical. He goes, I love this thing. And he's so fired up. And that's why he says, it's so powerful, guys. I can't be ashamed of it. How could you be ashamed of something so powerful? Does that make sense? If you don't know the power of it, you might be, well, it's my view or my philosophy. And maybe you don't agree the same way. So I'm, I'm just not going to tell you about it. But if you understand the power, the dynamite of God to change lives on the inside, when you understand it's available to all, and when you understand that it changes people's standing from not being able to stand before God to being able to come boldly before His throne, all through this gospel, Paul's like, this is so powerful, I can't be ashamed of it. Um, I want you to think for a second, if you could, if you just put your right hand out for a second, okay? Picture you have a you know, an injection, a shot in your hand, okay? You can close your hand and put it to your side now, but you got that injection in your hand? Okay. That injection is the cure for cancer. It's the cure for cancer. Now, you got that down by your side. It's not a regular cancer. It's a spiritual cancer. And guess what? Everyone's got it. Whoa. Didn't know that. Everyone's got it. You have the cure. It's right there. Now, when you walk out the doors today and you go to your family, friends, workplace, neighborhood, when you have the cure to spiritual cure, you didn't make the cure. <laughs> You're just carrying the cure. You, you didn't make it. You can't make it. No one can make it. God did. But you have it. Now, when you know it can change lives on the inside, do a new work, you know it's available for all, everyone who's willing to accept it. And when you know that it takes people and changes their whole standing and removes the cancer, can you just put it away and be ashamed of it? Because that's really the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is so, so powerful. There's so much dynamite in the gospel. We've limited it today to a belief system, whether you adhere to it or not, you can have your position. But there's so much power in the gospel that we ought to live our life in a way to kind of put it on display. Going, hey, listen, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all down. You don't have to follow me, but let me tell you something. I know the one who's got the cure. I don't know everything, but I can share it with you. Do you want it? And this is where we build. This is how people come to faith and they come into the kingdom. And this is where life begins when it comes to identity. Understanding who we're not so we can understand who we are. We all have a spiritual cancer and we all need this 
powerful gospel. The last thing he says is the righteous will live by faith. We're going to look at that more in the future, but I just want to say the last point is be committed to living by faith and sharing faith. Because if we're living by faith, part of that living is sharing. And you have that cure. And as we close in prayer, I just want to encourage you guys. The righteous shall live by faith. Our whole journey is by faith. In fact, he says right here that this faith is from, uh, from first to last. He's talking about the beginning of walking with God is by faith. And the way the whole thing ends at the end is all by faith. The whole journey is by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a journey. It's like a tunnel. It's like a highway. We're walking down the faith highway with God. And we, we don't ever get off it. The whole journey is by faith. But on this journey of faith, sometimes we stop and we rationalize or we get discouraged and we, we stop walking in faith. I just want to encourage you this morning. Our prayer team is going to come up this morning. And I want to ask you to make a bold, a bold step in your life when it comes to your identity. Um, let's just close our eyes and bow our heads right now. But I just I would encourage you to, to really just search your heart and ask yourself, in the area of God-given identity, in the area of an identity that God has for you, who you are, who He's making you, and what He wants you to do, what He's calling you to do, your mission, your purpose, your design. I just want to encourage you, if there's an area in that process that either you don't know, you're still learning, you want to know, or... You know you're not really walking in faith. He's telling you this morning, through the blood of Jesus, you are righteous. You are just. And the just shall live by faith. And there's so much identity to be lived out and to be explored when we start walking this stuff out in faith. So I just want to pray right now. Mighty God, I just pray if there's any in this room today that maybe understand that you are. Yeah, you're the Christ and you're the Savior. But I never made you the Lord. I, I never really got off the throne. I can't look back to a date in history where I made you the Lord. Because my identity doesn't even begin until I understand yours. And it's time. It's time. I, I got to start living in, a, in the true identity. A God-given identity. I'm, 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 I'm not going to walk in my own identity or who the world tells me I'm supposed to be or should be. I want to walk in your design. I want to walk in your identity. If there's any this morning that acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God who takes away the sins, who wants to give you a new beginning, a fresh start, but also needs to be the Lord of your life. Uh, when everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, would you just look? I just want to agree with you in prayer. Does anybody want to start that identity process with the Most High God? Amen. Anybody else? Praise you, Lord. Lord, I, I pray for identity to be established. Uh, he who is in Christ is a new creation. She who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is past, the new is come. Lord, do a new work in the area of identity because only you can. And Lord, for others, Lord, who have been on this journey for a little longer, Lord, I pray like Paul, we would really, really come to terms with what, who our identity is not and who our identity is in you. And I pray that on this journey, we would literally walk it out in faith, God. We wouldn't... We wouldn't get critical in our, um, we wouldn't get too analytical and try to figure out everything you're trying to do because we never will. We never will figure it all out. But if we trust you and walk in faith, you'll open doors. You'll make everything beautiful in its time. We thank you in advance for all you're doing and all you're about to do. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. You are the everlasting. Yeah.
This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.